It's December 17th, 2014, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First, we'll cover some local science and tech stories, some local events, but we'll also hear from a couple of news guests. And joining us today is Tiffany Hunt from Verizon to tell us about their recent mobile device survey. And then we have Sandy Park from the High Tech Development Corporation to tell us about their upcoming Holiday Tech Fair. Finally, after the break, we've invited Jody Ito and Motohiro Tsuchiya to tell us about the growing concern over cybersecurity and what businesses can do to protect themselves. Of course, we'd love your questions as well and join the conversation by giving us a call or tweeting us. But first, the headlines. Business business owners in Hawaii now have a new way to monitor their businesses. The Business Registration Division of the Department of Commerce and Consumer Affairs, or DCCA, has launched a new mobile-friendly notification service called My Business Alerts. Through My Business Alerts, business owners can sign up to receive near-real-time email or text messages alerts when somebody makes a change to a company's official state business registration filing. The service monitors changes to a business name, address, status, type, officers, and annual reports. In addition, the service lets consumers purchase a My Business reminder that notifies the consumer when a company's annual report is due. Now, BREG already offers free email reminders to companies when their annual filing is due, but this new service allows others who are not necessarily associated with the company to also receive a reminder. Governor David Ige said in a statement, Helping Hawaii's businesses run more efficiently and assisting consumers in gaining access to pertinent information is vital to further strengthening our economy. We will continue to look at adding more of these types of services. Securities Commissioner Tung Chan added, businesses move so fast now it can be hard to keep pace. This new service makes sure a business knows any time a new filing or a change is being made to their corporate record with the state. This can help businesses with early detection if something is wrong. One year of My Business Alerts costs $25 per business. A My Business Reminder for annual filings is $2.50 for one year per business. For more information and to sign up, you can visit uh, the website hbe.ehawaii.gov. And this is a program that I guess the National Information Consortium and their local um, uh, company here called uh, Hawaii Information Consortium has kind of rolled out through a number of states, and and uh, you know Hawaii is now the recipient of this. And so it's basically sort of like watching your credit report, but with the DCCA. So you will notice if I try to overthrow you as the CEO of Bite Marks Incorporated. That's right, and I'm I'm, I'm worried about that. So I think I might sign up for this service. <laughs> On our last show, we heard about the Hawaii Innovation Assets Report that was compiled by the Hawaii Business Roundtable. That report, still to come out, identifies the state's innovation assets and highlights the importance of growing the research and innovation sectors for future economic growth. But there was a second report that came out last week focused on Hawaii innovation. Enterprise Honolulu just published the Innovation Framework Forward. This report features specific recommendations for ways to further Hawaii's economic transformation based on Hawaii's recent progress as well as its historic Strengths. Compiled by Yuka Nagashima, former executive director of the High Technology Development Corporation, the framework report features input from a wide spectrum of stakeholders and leaders from Hawaii's entrepreneur and established business owners to policy leaders and economic development experts. From these different perspectives, the report uh, assesses the status quo as well as the many different views of the future predicted for Hawaii, 
Common among them, a call for innovation-driven growth rather than looking at fostering specific vertical sectors like tourism. Key recommendations include designating a single go-to entity devoted to innovation that has credibility with both private and public sectors, providing dedicated funding streams, stronger incorporation of university research as well as community colleges, and setting agreed-upon metrics to measure success. Nagashima writes, Hawaii's economic growth in the last 20 years still lags behind the national average if we are to provide the quality of life we have come to expect or to leave a better Hawaii to the next generation, we must change how we approach economic development in our community. And it's, you know, it's very timely because I think, uh, you know, we're all entering a new year and I think uh, a new governor, a new administration. And uh, there's, uh, I, I think this is a great report, you know, in terms of uh, looking at the innovation framework and as, as well as the uh, innovation assets report that uh, the uh, Hawaii Business Roundtable is soon to release. Right. And you both, you and I, Bert, and I contributed or were interviewed by Nagashima. And there's a lot of good names in here. Hank Rogers, Eric Nakagawa. Um, they even talked to Catherine Matayoshi at the DOE, mm-hmm. uh, Richard Lim. So from state government to, to educators to researchers, it's a pretty broad uh, look at our innovation sector. And as we heard last week, and it's also so in this report, we're talking about you know sixty five thousand jobs in the innovation sector in Hawaii. That is not an insignificant number. Yeah, that's right. Okay, uh, some events to uh, note coming up on the tech calendar. Monday brings the Maui uh, the monthly Tech Pauhana meeting in Kona. This uh, month's networking potluck will feature the Kona Toastmasters Club. If you need help with a technical presentation or fine tuning a product pitch, you can come down to Nelha. Gateway Energy Center, and that's on the 22nd, beginning at 5 p.m. For more information, you can call Rod Hinman, and his number is 808-989-0977, or you can email email him at rod at auroraresearch.com. You will want to save the date for the next Startup Paradise Demo Day. That's set for Friday, January 16th at the Sullivan Theater at the UH Cancer Center. This diverse event and the second one now will showcase startups from several programs that, of course, we featured here on the show. That includes Blue Startups, the Energy Accelerator, and Accelerate UH. And if you can hum the melodies from the video games like Tetris or Super Mario Brothers, and Ryan, I'll ask you to do that. Uh, No, Uh, thanks. You're going to want to check out the unique symphonic concert coming to Honolulu at the end of January. The Zelda Symphony of the Goddesses Tour brings a two-hour multimedia event in four movements. Koji Kondo, the original mind behind Zelda's music, will team up with the Hawaii Symphony Orchestra at the Blaisdell. Tickets are available at Ticketmaster or at the Blaisdell box office. Now, joining us here in the studio is Tiffany Hunt. She's here from Verizon Wireless, and she's here to tell us about a recent survey that they did about smartphone and tablet users' trends, basically, in that space. Welcome to the show, Tiffany. Thank you so much for having me. So, for our listeners, uh, I would like you to perhaps uh, maybe describe a little bit about this infographic that you have uh, kind of in front of it. It basically kind of gives us some idea about how maybe smartphone tablets are being used, and, and maybe you can describe that. Yeah, so what we have here is a recent survey we partnered with KRC Research to see how consumers are using their smartphones, mm-hmm. particularly around Black Friday. Um, and we took that information to make sure that, you know, Verizon, we want to make sure we're providing the best customer experience. And in doing so, we wanted to know how customers were using their smartphones so we could better provide a great experience in our stores when they come in. So we did that to find out that information below. So what was the most sort of striking thing about this uh, survey? I mean, Uh, A lot of people are doing their research online, but how were people using their smart devices to actually go out on Black Friday and shop? So we found that 80% of the consumers are using their smartphones today to find the best prices in the shortest lines. 
So, you know, a lot of customers will come into our stores and in any store and they'll have long wait times. So at Verizon, what we've done is send text messages to our customers when they come into the store to reduce wait time and improve our customer experience and allow the customer to go do other things while they're waiting. Well, my coworker is a crazy uh, Black Friday shopper and she uh, basically likes the ability to shop online because she can be waiting in line at Bath and Body Works and in that time, in that line, buy three other things at three other stores. So, um, and another thing about being able to to save time in line is that you probably eliminate some of the stress and perhaps in some cities the potential violence that comes with waiting in line if you have a better way to uh, to set people up. Um, what did the the survey have to to say about tablets? Because I've certainly been hearing a lot of people saying that maybe the we've reached peak tablet. People aren't using tablets as much as they used to. Uh, what did the survey find? Um, so the survey found that now more than ever, customers are using their tablets for, for multiple different uses. So they say that currently we have 88% of customers that will use their tablets to send a video and or picture message throughout the holiday season. So it's very important that our customers can stay connected to family that maybe aren't here local on Hawaii Island. Maybe they're you know back in the mainland. So this uh, uses you know, larger screen that allows the customers to be able to see that and video chat with their family. Um, and in the research also found that um, 99% of customers will use their tablets to do that mm-hmm. and or cell phone devices. Here's a couple of interesting stats. It says 10% will be willing to part with their part with their device over the holidays. That means 90% won't <laughs> want to part with their device. Yeah. Is that basically what it... Yeah, that's basically what it says. So 90% will not part with their device, and that's so that way they can stay connected with mm-hmm. their friends and family mm-hmm. when they're you know, out on the holiday season, which was you know, a bit surprising when you would think, right, 90%, but it's, um, you know, it's now more than ever that people are using it for that reason. And are there things in the report that are not just about shopping? Certainly uh, retailers are probably concerned about that, but there are other activities that people are using their phones for, correct? Um, yeah, there's other things besides just shopping that people are going to use their cell phones for. Um, so it's one one is shopping. Also, they you know they're going to text their friends and family over the holiday season. So 92 percent of uh, the millennials will text holiday wishes versus 47 percent in other ages. So you know mm. just a simple text um, to a family member is a lot more common we find in the millennials, which is important for us to know um, as a company so we can provide a great customer experience. Well, out of my three kids, two of them texted me their wish list. So definitely text our <laughs> part of that for sure. Well, here's another interesting uh, uh, stat. It says uh, seeing family is five times more important than getting gifts. Now, it's five times more important than getting gifts, but when they see their families, 90% still want to be on their smartphone. Yeah, well, you know, if you don't if you don't want to be with your family, I guess you can be with anyone else in the world that way. Fifty eight percent downloading holiday recipes or decorating tips. I've got a house full of Pinterest nuts. So when if if I can't afford that nice dress, my wife can at least pin fifty other nice dresses that she'd like to look at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. has uh, uh, has Verizon kind of done this uh, just around the holiday season, or have they kind of looked at this survey in other, let's say, Mother's Day or other kinds of uh, events? So this is a survey that we've just brought out, um, and it was it was to improve our customer experience and to continue to provide that great customer experience that we can. Um, and and you mentioned before that we you know ninety percent people will not part from their cell phones, but <laughs> five times or more it's more important than getting gifts. So I think what's important there is that we understand that the technology is available to them, so that way they can use it to see people who may not be here or may not be with them. So they have that ability with smartphones and tablets, which is why it's so important to have these. Devices 
devices, not only to shop and to look at recipes, but to also stay connected so you can still see them even though they may not be here. So mm-hmm. it's very important. So, Tiffany, where can someone go to see the results of the survey or even this uh, great infographic uh, that I'm sure we can post as well? Yeah. yeah, so you can go to verizonwireless.com, so www.verizonwireless.com. You can visit any of our local retailers on the Hawaii Islands, and we'd be more than happy to go over that. And as well, if you guys could post it, it would be amazing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. We'll put it put up on our show notes. BiteMarksCafe.org. Thank That's you, right. Tiffany, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate and it. And, of course, uh, we want to welcome Sandy Park from HTDC to Bite Marks Cafe to tell us about the holiday tech fair. Welcome back. Sandy. Happy holidays, Britt and Ryan. Oh, cool. So now tell me, how many years has the uh, tech fair been going on? Uh, this, I, I lost count. Oh, this is our 15th <laughs> annual. Fifth. That is impressive. Woohoo! Now, um, we it's it, just like uh, singing carols and watching A Christmas Story, having you in the studio to talk about this <laughs> event is a tradition that really brings the holiday spirit out in me. <laughs> but for those that this is new for, um, what is the basic objective of this holiday fair? It's not specifically just to get eggnog, correct? Uh, No, it's not. It is uh, a job fair, but it's also to create the awareness of the tech industry here in Hawaii. And actually, this year, we are including um, the the other uh, types of jobs and industries, including the medical industry, some small and light manufacturing. Hmm. So we kind of want to broaden the scope a little bit of the event to include high-skilled jobs. Now, one so, of the things that we hear a lot about is uh, uh, the brain drain, and I think the, t- the tech fair is really trying to address that because although we might have lost somebody to a mainland job, uh, they still have to come home to visit Tutu and Auntie, uh, and so here you can sort of grab them and show them what opportunities are available. Right. The reason why we have it during the holiday season is to attract the Kama'aina coming home to visit family, not just the kids coming home for Christmas break from the colleges, but also for the older, skilled workforce who are coming home to be with family over the holiday season. So can you uh, give us an idea? I, I sort of have uh, a sense of who might be showing uh, mm-hmm. some of their, their uh, capabilities, but what com- companies might be having a little booth there at the uh, tech fair? Well, we have over right now over 24 companies, exhibitors. That includes our tech companies like Oceanet, mm-hmm. Navitech, mm-hmm. Live Action, Decision Research, um, but we're also including the John A. Burns School of Medicine, the Rehab Hospital of the Pacific, Hawaii Pacific Health. Uh, you, we've also invited the UH College of Engineering to showcase their programs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, PAXA from Island Insurance. Um, uh, Hawaiian Airlines has also joined us this year. And the FBI. Oh, so really? we are looking to for a very, you know, for to a Pretty good program this year. So, so Sandy, yeah. I mean, how much do you have to go out there and actually, you know, recruit uh, any of these companies, or are they calling you up and saying, "Hey, Sandy, I want to be a part of your tech fair"? Both, really. Both. Yeah. But I do like to reach out personally to a lot of the industry. I'm people. impressed that uh, Hawaiian Air is is uh, participating. I mean, they're yes. a very successful yeah. local company, and you know, to have exactly, them actually yeah. want to maybe attract some some uh, kamaaina coming home. I yes, mean, that's it, great. Yeah, and Data House will also be participating. Uh, yeah. So they have a whole slew of positions available in both the Data House, Team Praxis, mm-hmm. and some of their new um, innovative companies that they're, they're spinning out. Any any uh, startup companies that uh, you know we've seen come through, let's say, Blue Startups or uh, any of the uh, other well, accelerators? Um, Blue Startups will be participating oh, along with the um, Sultan Ventures. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have some of our MIC clients who are joining us this year, like Dev League, Sudoku, uh, Hyperspectus, Spectrum Photonics, 
and maybe a few more. Wow, mm-hmm. that sounds like the uh, the roster of guests here on Bite Marks Cafe. That's right, that's right. Well, I like how you're including a lot of these other companies, including the education and the medical sector, because as we just talked about in mm-hmm. the news segment, the, the Hawaii Innovation Assets Report from the Hawaii Business Roundtable right. or Yuka Nagashima's new report for Enterprise right. Honolulu, they're talking about how there is an innovation sector, a tech sector that covers many other verticals, many other industries within tourism, exactly. within medicine. Yes. So um, that's great. Now, this event is being combined with the other event that we frequently feature, which is Wetware Wednesday. So it's sort of kind of overlapping and integrated. Yes, it's a Wetware Wednesday holiday, Wetware Wednesday. So it's a little networking pauhana within the tech jobs, uh, the holiday tech fair. So who are the people? I mean, I, I imagine that a lot of the people who are affiliated with these companies or interested in positions with these companies would turn up. But uh, for someone who's new or new to the community, um, what are the sort of people that you would specifically want to invite to bring to to broaden the population here at uh, the, tech, the holiday tech fair? Well, definitely we want to see the students to educate them on Mm -hmm. um, the industry here in Hawaii and also the skilled workers. But we also want the general public to be there so they can understand what the innovation economy is about, Mm -hmm. what the industry includes. It's not just Game Boys or um, Playstations, but it's a lot of creativity and innovation and opportunities. Now, in the past, uh, there was a maybe a program associated with the tech fair and I, I wonder, maybe, are you uh, incorporating a program? Uh, Presentations? In this year? Or, yeah. or? Uh, yes, this year we will be incorporating a presenter. Oh, okay. We are really, really happy to feature Darius Monsef. Uh-huh. He ah, is Bubs. a local boy, make of Bubs. Yeah. Yes, he's a local boy, went to Silicon Valley, San Francisco, did well, has come home. And he's contributing a lot to grow the industry here. Now, also in years past, you've done resume reviews. Is that going right, to be a feature? Right. So before the doors open at 5, we will be having free resume evaluations by HR professionals, and we're also going to be including free headshots. Oh, so photography as well. Yes. So there's, I would agree that, I mean, yes, everybody just sort of looks at LinkedIn these days, but having yes. a good resume, and I would say even a good headshot probably is a good thing. Yeah, so we're really excited. So really Sandy, excited. can yes. you give us the details where, when, how much? Uh, it's at the Japanese Cultural Center, okay. Manoa Grand Ballroom, December the 29th. Doors open at 5 free resumes and headshots at four, Mm -hmm. and um, it's free to attend. So where can someone go to find more information on this event? www.techjobshawaii.org. Fantastic. Ah, Okay, sounds good. That's all you need to know. That's right. We'll put that up on our show notes. Thanks, Sandy, for joining us. Thank you. And that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Jody Ito and Motohiro Tsuchiya and talk about the growing concern over cybersecurity. From international hacks like the current attack on Sony to things happening here in Honolulu and Hawaii's small businesses. What can you do to protect business and personal information? What can uh, what tools are available? Of course, if you have a question, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or you can reach us toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And of course, we're live here in the studio. We're monitoring Twitter so you can tweet us your questions as well. Well, at Bite Marks or at Hawaii, this is Bite Marks Cafe. Enjoy a holiday evening serenaded by an archangel. That's Hawaii Island musician Lito Archangel on Saturday, December 20th at 7.30 p.m. Known for his soulful falsetto and how he infuses traditional Hawaiian values into stories and songs, this is Archangel's first appearance in HPR's intimate Atherton studio. Reserve your seats now at hprtickets.org or call 955-8821 during business hours. 
Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Next time on New Dimensions, we'll be featuring a talk I gave in the summer of 2014 about thriving in chaotic times. Sunday morning at 11. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Hawaii Supply. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Jody Ito and Motohiro Tsuchiya. Jody is the University of Hawaii's Information Security Officer. Her responsibilities include development, management, administration, and coordination of policies and procedures for information security for the University of Hawaii system spanning 10 campuses. Motohiro, meanwhile, is a professor of Graduate School of Media and Governance at Keio University. Uh, Motohiro is also a visiting scholar at East-West Center's research program. He joined in February through February of next year, and during this period, he will be conducting independent research on several topics, including cybersecurity policies in the U.S. and Asia, as well as the physical security of submarine and undersea cables between Japan and the U.S. And of course, will our networks ever be protected from cyber threats? We want to Get your comments and questions, and of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Jody and Motohiro, we want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Well, thank you very much for having us. It's thrilling. Thank you so much. I'm very glad to be here. Oh, great. So, you know, this is going to be a very interesting topic because I think there's so much of it in the news that uh, I don't think a week goes by that there isn't something happening with a, a major corporation or a major breach of of, uh, uh, of information and, and um, let's say, uh, data that some of these uh, servers and computers are are housing. Now, um, just to kind of get a level set, Jody, maybe you can give us a sense of what are some of the, you know, when you talk about cybersecurity, I mean, that's a broad umbrella of different kinds of things that might occur. What are the typical things that, as a security officer, you're trying to protect from? So from the university's perspective, it's about protecting the university's information assets. How do we make sure that the personal information or sensitive information of the university community is not exposed um, in ways that it shouldn't be? And this could be either us as individuals somehow um, giving it out by mistake, Mm -hmm. like if a Mm -hmm. spreadsheet that has social security numbers inadvertently gets emailed out to a list instead of to an individual. Mm -hmm. Reply all. Reply all. You got (laughs) to hate that. Or information that's placed on a server, a public web server that was never intended to house sensitive information. So lots of it is just personal mistakes, but other things is you have this whole wealth of cyber criminals out there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, crime on the internet is a huge business. It's a multi-billion dollar business. I've heard things said about it that it's almost as big as a global drug trade, if not bigger, Mm. right? There's so many ways that you can be anonymous on the internet and still pursue uh, hacking into somebody's computer. So your neighbor could be using your wireless to log into your computer and read your emails. Maybe a little innocuous, but what if they're going after your purchasing that you did on the internet with your credit card numbers embedded in your web browsers? Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's the fact that we are using the Internet 
in ways that I don't think it was necessarily intended to, right? So we're shopping online all the time. We're doing our banking online all the time. Uh, You know, we're putting ourselves out there. Think about how many devices we have connected to the network at any given time. Talking about your cell phones, your iPads, your laptop, computers. You can even do Wi-Fi in airplanes now. Right, right? and soon your refrigerator and your washing machine is going to be online as well. Now, Motohiro, we're we're glad to have you here in Hawaii and on our show to, to bring us kind of an international perspective. I like what Jody said that Sometimes half of an ISO, information security officer's job is internal education. That's what I had done at a previous job as an ISO at a bank. But um, with you, I think you can, can you give us a sense of really when you're looking at nefarious, malicious actors and they're working across borders and, and you can touch on, I would say, the Sony hacks, which are making headlines where there's questions of whether it's a state-sponsored hack. I mean, um, how, how intense are the threats that we face from people who are specifically set on doing harm to our networks, to our systems, to our businesses? Yeah, thanks so much. Um, there are um, several uh, motivations for cyber attacks, actually. First one is individual uh, motivation. So you want to um, um, uh, stalk someone or steal uh, privacy information. And second motivation is economic one. So mm-hmm. you want to steal some money from banks or someone else or maybe variable uh, technology information from uh, industries. And third one is political uh, motivation. So uh, there are many, many uh, political tensions between uh, countries among countries. So they want to uh, affect other uh, uh, people's minds or something. And the final one is military uh, motivation. So uh, there are few cases uh, using the cyber methods to attack uh, uh, other countries in, in military perspective, but it might happen, and there are uh, some cases about it. So um, um, now there are state-sponsored attackers all over the world. So they are mixing economic incentives, our political incentives, or military incentives, mm-hmm. but um, we cannot distinguish uh, uh, who uh, really who, who they are, actually. So we call it the attribution problem. So attribution means that um, who is real attackers behind the uh, cloud of the Internet. Mm -hmm. So you cannot identify who is real hackers. Uh, So this is um, could be state-sponsored, could be individual, could be um, um, small hacker groups. We still don't know. Do you have an opinion on the Sony issue? I mean, some people say that it's just disgruntled Sony people that are getting their revenge on the company, which, as you say, is personal probably for them. But there are people who feel there's credible evidence that it's, if not state-sponsored, it's in support of the state of North Korea um, because of the film that uh, they now canceled now the, the release of simply because of these threats. What do you think? Yeah, I wanted it the movie in Hawaii, <laughs> but it was canceled in Hawaii, too. Yes, so. yes. Um, there are several cases that uh, North Korea uh, was involved uh, in the past. So uh, the first one was uh, July 2009. Um, uh, it was the uh, July 4th celebration in the United States. So uh, there was a huge DDoS attack, DDoS attack, mm-hmm. distributed denial of services attack. Mm-hmm. So uh, lots of uh, infected computers access the target. Uh, that's a DDoS attack. It happened in the United States. Three days later, it went to the South Korea. So it was the same method. And there are many uh, websites were shut down. It was linked to the um, uh, North Korea. So people said uh, there's no hard evidence. But uh, uh, South Korean government thought that this could be um, um, 
uh, uh, North Korea. Mm -hmm. And uh, 2013, I think, March of 2013, uh, uh, South Korea was hit again. So broadcasters were targeted and bank ATMs didn't work. So I asked the uh, South Korean government, so who did it? So they said, uh, we are uh, uh, sure that North Korea did it. So they could trace the, uh, some evidences going back to North Korea. So there are many cases uh, North Korea is involved in real cyber attacks. So this one, Sony Pictures uh, case, could be uh, North Korea. We can, um, I still don't have a, a clear evidence, but we can assume that they could do that. Or so yeah. so uh, I would assume that there is uh, quite a bit of uh, experts sort of looking through the forensic data yeah. that might lead them to uh, where this might have originated. But are, are the, are the uh, attackers so sophisticated that they can pretty much uh, wipe the path or wipe you know, the trace of their path clean from wherever they might have originated the attack from? So whenever somebody says, you know, North Korea or maybe China or maybe Russia, uh, if they're that sophisticated, haven't they already perhaps wiped that path and maybe created a false path that might have led back to you know China or Russia? Yeah, it is possible. And or sometimes they disguise that somebody else. So um, um, in one case that uh, people said this is from China, and because uh, IP addresses were coming from China. Mm -hmm. But North Korea is using Chinese servers to attack uh, other mm -hmm. countries. So we still don't know it is really from China or North Korea is using Chinese facilities to attack other countries. Um, maybe we should uh, go into the details of the um, data evidences in China, but Chinese government don't want to right, share. Right, right, right. right. And, then, and, you know, and the nature of accessing the Internet in China is already... Sort of, um, you know, the people that want to internet want to access the internet already set up these servers that sort of go go beyond or or mask themselves from the Great Firewall of China. So if they're legitimately trying to get out to the internet through these devices, mm -hmm. and then somebody who's actually trying to hack through and use those same devices, that could basically mask their um, their origin. Yeah. So China, North Korea, Russia are very notorious in. Uh, cyber mm -hmm. wall. But um, if you go into China and ask people inside China, so the landscape is a little bit different mm -hmm. because we, we think that um, a Chinese Communist Party is organizing, arranging everything, but it's not true. So Chinese people are attacking each other mm -hmm. because they have very vulnerable uh, systems. So sometimes they are uh, using the illegal copy of the softwares. So they have a very uh, high level of vulnerabilities everywhere in China. So Chinese companies are trying to steal information from rival companies or some um, groups trying to uh, attack the Chinese Communist Party or something like that. Mm -hmm. So lots of things happening inside China too. So China right. is always saying that uh, they are a victim of cyber attacks from other countries, but actually they are a victim. So they are getting a lot of uh, uh, cyber attacks from inside and outside. Mm -hmm. So they are kind of a confused situation now. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I mean, I'll, I'll tell you that if I wanted to download an illegal Sony Pictures movie, I'd probably go over to Bert's house first and use his Wi-Fi <laughs> to do that. We are talking to uh, Motohiro Tsuchiya. He's a visiting scholar at the East-West Center, and we have Jody Ito, the Information Security Officer for the 
University of Hawaii talking about cybersecurity on a larger scale. If you've got a question, a company that might be worried about being hacked, you can ask the experts by giving us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, Jody, uh, UH has not put out a film that makes fun of North Korea, so I would presume you're not a target. But Wait, DDoS target in many different ways. So tell us yes. about that. I mean, or DDoS, DD, DDoS attacks in particular. I mean, what does the university see as this uh, this this hapless back bastion of higher education? So we, as a university, we are our mission is education and research. Therefore, we have to have an open network mm-hmm. because we never know what people are researching um, or what classes they're taking. So in fact. Uh, we often get copyright violation notices because our students are very active in downloading music, software, uh, games, which they did not pay for. Mm-hmm. So we as a university, we have to pursue these individuals. And one individual actually told me, he's like, oh, I'm researching this whole software piracy issue. So this is why he was downloading them illegally. Mm. So, but on the, very Very <laughs> possible. So we do not have a way of... Uh, identifying which is legitimate research or somebody who's lying to us just so they can get their free downloads. But what that means is that we cannot assume a lot of things what a corporate environment would. We cannot put on firewalls around the perimeter of the university that would only let specific traffic in and out of the university. Um, And even for students, they come and go. So they have all of their wireless devices that we have to let onto the network because they need it. That's part of their life. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. from a university's perspective, if you think about all of the devices we can have active on our network at one time, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of devices, and we really have no way of managing it. So what we try to do is not to secure the network in and of itself, but we try to secure the information assets and protect those. Uh, So where is this sensitive information of the universities used? How do we determine the risk around the use of that data? And so that's what we try to protect. So we don't try and protect everything. Mm -hmm. We try and protect the very specific things that are crucial to the university. So when you um, so when you talk about protecting those information assets, and you did, did sort of talk about the the perimeter, mm-hmm. and the perimeter being sort of the the front line of getting into the network, and there may be some firewalls that protect the inside from the outside. But once they're already on the inside, and there are some, you know, downloads being done, or maybe there's some. Uh, uh, you know, nefarious activities that are are uh, sort of transferring data from one place to another. What is it that you have put in place that indicates those activities happening? So from a information security perspective, we normally don't disclose oh. specific <laughs> technologies of what we use and how we do it. But right, in right, general, right, right, right. Uh, there are monitoring devices or things that we look at that would give us a baseline of what we could, would consider normal activity. Mm-hmm. And then if we see deviations from those, then we tend to assume that it's compromised or there's some kind of uh, attack going on on the university. So, for example, if you know we can routinely access all these external websites, 
websites and all of a sudden we notice that the response is a lot slower than we start digging into the network, monitoring a little bit and trying to identify the causes. And that's how we can detect, for example, if we're being uh, the victim of a distributed denial of service attack, mm-hmm. which we, the university has experienced some of those. Uh, one of the benefits of the university is we're a research network, so we actually have very large, very fast uh, pipes, mm-hmm. as we call them. And so even though we are hit very hard by a distributed denial of service attack, it doesn't cripple the university. It makes us limp along a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do see a lot of the common attacks that everybody else does, and you talk about what do we see when we're being attacked from inside, and that happens all the time because a laptop is infected at home, and they just bring it on and put it on the university network, and then we'll see a spike in traffic on one part of the network, and we'll try and figure out where it's coming from mm-hmm. and either block that device on the network. So it, it is we constantly monitor the network. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Motohiro Tsuchiya, an international expert on cybersecurity, currently visiting scholar at the East-West Center, as well as Jody Ito, the information security officer for the University of Hawaii. If you're concerned about cybersecurity for your business or organization, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. I'm also watching Twitter. You can tweet at Hawaii. Now, Motohiro, um, the university is a large organization, but a lot of people listening aren't working for an organization of that size, and they wouldn't necessarily have the in-house expertise to harden their systems against an attack. So I was wondering if you can share any best practices or strategies that you might offer, say, a company that has a network, 30 computers, they're all browsing the Internet. Do they need to hire a cybersecurity consulting firm to work with them, or is there anything that their IT guy or gal or or student intern could do to at least improve their chances of protecting their networks? Yeah, it is a very difficult problem, actually. So uh, if you have some money to invest in security, but you don't know how much you should uh, invest in security. So security doesn't make any profits. So a uh, corporate mm-hmm. manager says, uh, this is a waste of money. But So if you, uh, you your assets were stolen so it would be very huge damage for your company so you have to strike a balance between investment and uh, uh, protection but um, it's there's no um, uh, formula to understand how much amount of money is necessary for to protect your company so of course it if you have money you can ask for experts to uh, check your uh, company's uh, security but many of uh, companies don't understand, actually don't realize that they are being attacked. So our um, former uh, FBI director said, so there are two companies in the, in the world. So uh, one is that uh, they were hacked, and uh, the other is uh, uh, they don't know they were uh, hacked mm-hmm. al- already. So we have to... Um, um, Thinking, uh, we are thinking that what is the best way for everybody, but there's no uh, um, uh, good answer actually yet. So I was um, uh, part of the committee in Japanese uh, biggest industry association. Uh, we try to uh, persuade uh, big corporation companies and middle-sized uh, small companies uh, managers, but they said they don't want to spend much money mm-hmm. on uh, insecurity. So. 
Actually, I don't have a good answer. You know, I want to I want to talk a little bit more about that because I think that's probably the exact scenario that might have unfolded with Sony. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we want to hold that thought. We'll be right back. We right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Jody Ito and Motohiro Tsuchiya about the growing need to secure our networks. What other threats are out there, and of course, how has it evolved over time? We'd of course love your questions. You can give us a call at nine four one three six eight nine or eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. That's toll-free from the neighbor islands. You're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. My name is Bob Dant. I am president of the board of directors of the Maui Pops Orchestra. There seems to be a community of, I'll say, art-related people that just enjoy uh, Hawaii Public Radio. And the feedback has been, oh yes, we've, we've heard about Maui Pops by way of HPR. Hawaii Public Radio, celebrating partnership, building community. If we miss the joy in Christianity, we are, we are missing the point. Stephen Colbert has called Father James Martin the chaplain of the Colbert Nation. On the next On Being for Christmas, the Jesuit spiritual sensibility and sense of humor behind his beloved books and the theology of Pope Francis. I'm Krista Tippett. Please join us. Hear Krista Tippett On Being Sunday morning at 10, right after Weekend Edition. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we're talking to Jody Ito and Motohiro Tsuchiya about cybersecurity and the glowing, growing global threat. And, of course, right before the break, uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, some of the activity that might go on uh, inside the network that might uh, reveal itself as being nefarious and how you might perhaps get alerts as a result of that. Of course, if you have a comment or question, feel free to give us a call here. The number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. So, um, Motohiro, you know, in terms of uh, what you were describing, if you're already in the network if, if and, you know, if you're talking to some of these uh, security officers or maybe they're um, there's the network folks or executives at the company and they feel maybe investing in security isn't that great. But in the Sony case, obviously there was activity going on. There there was a lot of files being uh, downloaded and, and moved around. And there obviously was not a lot of indication. Or maybe there maybe there was and they just didn't pay attention to it. I mean, what, what happened that let it go on so long? Yeah, uh, Sony was attacked uh, a few years ago uh, by Anonymous. So they had experience that um, to deal with cybersecurity, but um, there, uh, um, I think it was uh, done by social engineering. Mm-hmm. So it's a strange word, but uh, it's trying to um, um, disguise that uh, email or something is legitimate, but it's disguised message. For uh, I want to go back to the Mitsubishi Heavy Industries case. Okay. Yeah, this is a um, uh, 2011 <coughs> case actually. Um, Mitsubishi Heavy Industry is a, one of the military contractor in Japan, and they have a good relationship with U.S. Uh, military contractors. It means that U.S. military high techs coming to the uh, Mitsubishi Heavy Industry. So Mitsubishi had a very good uh, security, so uh, internal, external security, but industry association was hacked first. So they thought that they don't have any confidential information inside, so they are 
security levels are minimum. So um, the in industry association was compromised first. They, uh, they were penetrated. Mm -hmm. They still legitimate our uh, email and the other information. And then they, um, the attackers send uh, email, disguised email to Mitsubishi. So Mitsubishi guys thought this is a legitimate email mm -hmm. from the industry association. They were, it was um, quite natural to open up those attachments. Attachments include um, um, computer viruses, worms, so malwares. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, computers inside Mitsubishi were uh, controlled by remote. So this kind of chain is happening uh, in many industries, actually. Mm -hmm. So maybe today uh, we exchange the email addresses now, and I s take a picture with Bert and Ryan, and I uh, send it back to you, uh, your email addresses, with files. You have to open the photo or a PDF or something like that mm -hmm. with files. So I can uh, uh, go into your computers, steal your information, and send someone uh, uh, disguised email to else. So it's happening uh, um, many places. So you cannot stop uh, penetration, actually. It's completely. So I guess we're not going to be sending you any selfies. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what you're describing is that, uh, and, and I'll be sure to look at the email that you send me, hmm. Now that you've brought this up, but <laughs> mm. if, if, if you were to attach something that was a malware and I opened it up, maybe I thought it was a PDF or mm. a, a, a JPEG or whatever, and it's now resident on my computer <clears throat> and I am now logging into a website. Let me, let, let me, as an example, maybe I'm logging into Amazon and so I'm typing in my, my username and password and that malware is able to collect that information and then transmit that back to Correct. the originator. So that's a keystroke logger, right, and okay. those are routinely used by attackers. And again, as Motohiro was saying, that it is usually sent to you in the form disguised as a legitimate contact from people that you know. Um, oftentimes, the University of Hawaii, we see phishing emails mm -hmm. that appear to actually come from the university asking for their username and password, and people will reply with their username and password that said, oh, we need more space, so we're going to give you a username and password so that you can give us more space mm -hmm. in, for our emails. And we will never ask them for it, but they give it up willingly. And so what we've seen after that is the attackers will come back and use those credentials, log into those valid university accounts, and impersonate those valid university users to try to social engineer, to try to encourage people to give up more information. So you're leveraging... Uh, the community that you know, your relationships with all these other people to get other people to believe that. And mm -hmm. so it it's all happens everywhere. Now, Jody, when I was the ISO of a bank, um, we had to hire outside companies. They did penetration tests. Basically, go ahead, hack our systems right. and see if you can do it and things like that. Um, but as Motohiro said, it's hard for a company of almost any size to evaluate what's the appropriate level of investment to present, prevent outside attackers. But it seems that every time we've started this conversation here on the show, it kind of comes back to people on the inside needing to be better educated about how to practice safe computing. So can I ask you, just if you had to save on a 50% level or 60-40 or whatever, um, what would you say is most important? The, the hardening of a system from 
North Korean hackers or making sure your uh, secretary knows not to believe anybody who calls her on the phone saying there's someone else? Actually, it's both of those because, one, your computers that you use, you should make sure that you have it set up so that it automatically updates. So it will automatically receive those security updates and install them. We call that patching. Uh, second thing is if something looks suspicious, so you're still bringing in the human aspect of evaluating messages, evaluating events. If it seems suspicious, question it before you do anything. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard in cyberspace. When we're growing up, we're taught to kind of look around us, get a sense of if we're in danger, if we feel the hairs crawling up on the back of our necks. We don't necessarily pay attention to that in cyberspace. Uh, But routinely, when we have an account that's compromised, we see it sending off a Tons of spam messages, like thousands of spam messages. Uh, We'll disable the account, call the person, and they will say, oh, yeah, it seemed funny that you're asking me for this information, but I hit send anyway. So they have that hair standing up on the back of their neck, but they just don't realize Mm. what it is. Mm -hmm. Now, we're talking to uh, Jody Ito. She's the information security officer at the University of Hawaii and Motohiro Tsuchiya, a visiting scholar from uh, Keio University over at the East-West Center, and he's a a cybersecurity expert. And we're uh, also asking you if you have any questions or comments about uh, cybersecurity. Want to ask the experts, you can call us at 941-3689. Or from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. We had a shy caller that asked uh, if you were to recommend any virus protection or malware protection. I mean, what would you what would you recommend? There are so many different antivirus products on the market. And basically what happens is they sort of leapfrog each other. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. pick a reputable one. And there's a number of them out there. Do we mention products on Sure, it? yeah. <laughs> what comes off the top of your mind? So for the university, we actually site license McAfee antivirus mm-hmm. so yeah. that we can give it away to every single faculty, staff, and student for the university community. So there's a number of them out there like that. Mm-hmm. And so you know, some of them are actually free on the Internet. Some come pre-installed right. with on your computers when you buy them. I've heard of Avast Security. Uh, Avast Security. Uh, free. Um, Norton's also out there. Norton, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I have to note that a lot of these are largely Windows-based uh, security solutions, so keep that in mind. Um, but I, but I, I like how you said use legitimate ones because uh, I helped a, a family member try to rescue her laptop, and she had, I would say, 30 antivirus solutions running on them, every single one of them not actually antivirus solutions. So you boot up the computer and there's 40 windows like, you're protected, our shield is on, shield's up, we're ready to go, but none of them were actually protecting her, so you should definitely do some research. Yeah, um, I, uh, I have visited uh, some uh, Japanese uh, security vendors. So they detected um, 700 uh, malware viruses on the previous day, and they checked the uh, antivirus software, so only 10% were detected as virus or malware. Mm-hmm. So it needs some time to be updated. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, Maybe in a week or in, a f- in five days, it will be uh, 100%. But uh, first a few days, you have to be very careful. Mm-hmm. So it needs to, uh, and you have to always update, update uh, virus definitions. Mm-hmm. So it's not perfect solution. Right. We need it, but. Well, you know, we want to welcome uh, Rod from Maui to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome to the show. Yeah, hi. Um, you know, good conversation about protecting yourself and, and username, password, and all that. But what I don't understand about this Sony thing, I was hoping you could enlighten me, is uh, 
how one moves 20 terabytes of data even after you're logged in. You obviously don't do that over an Internet connection. Um, somehow this was moved server to server inside the closet or something. That's so a, That's a great question, question Rod, and, and that, that sort of is baffling because there's so much data that they were able to get a hold of, and, and they... You know, but well, if you think happen? about it, Sony is a big company, so okay. they have very large network connections, and they are routinely moving data of that size around. So how would they detect uh, if it's a legitimate transfer or legitimate transfer? That's a good so, point, because you know, if, they're, if they're moving a movie right, from absolutely. one point to another. And they're doing this all the time, right? right? right, right. So would, would you, but I also think that it's just as likely that you have a nice size uh, Western Seagate drive from Costco and you get into the closet and uh, pick it up the next morning and you've got all that data as well. Mm. There's so many points of failure. It, exactly. It's, uh, exactly. It's, hard to, it's hard to know. Well, I also welcome from our one of our favorite neighbor island islands, Maui. Paige from uh, Maui, want to welcome you to Bite Marks Cafe. Howdy, enjoying you guys' show. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm a student at. Uh, let me turn off my radio. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm a student at uh, the Maui College here, and I keep getting these funny emails, supposedly referring me to an IRS account, but. Uh, the address is from a student at KCC. Thank That's you. Really what I should do. So that is actually one of our phishing attacks mm -hmm. where a legitimate university mm -hmm. account is compromised and is then used to send out additional phishing emails. So number one, if it looks suspicious, if it smells suspicious, report it. So you can email it to help at hawaii.edu and we will evaluate it for you. Always check with an official university source before you actually respond to that. But definitely... Um, once you give out information, you cannot get it back. So it's always a good idea to question anything before you give out information. Now, one of the, one of the things that seems to be frequently happening, and I just received one from you, Ryan, where the name is a name that I know, mm -hmm. Ryan Ozawa. I didn't recognize the email address. So when it comes in, I'm thinking, oh, I got an email from Ryan. But then I look at the email address, and it's you know it's an unrecognizable email address, and it it has some weird message. Of course, yeah, I'm going to delete that. But but that seems to be happening more and more where they, they actually know who you might frequent, frequently email and then that name becomes you know the, the actual sender, right? So you are a very public figure on the internet. Your relationship with Ryan is well known, probably oh, yeah. on your mm. Facebook page, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. So mm. it's very easy for someone just to get that information and impersonate Ryan and send you an email. Mm -hmm. So it's not hard, and that's the thing about the Internet. You just don't know if it is a real communication from somebody you know. So if it sounds suspicious, call him up on the phone. Ryan, did you really send me that? I was pretty sure that he didn't. But, <laughs> but Motohiro, you, you brought up something that I am now really concerned about. So a lot of photos are being sent to each to people, and, and you know we trade photos all the time. Uh, can malware be embedded in a JPEG and you receive it as a JPEG thinking that it's just a photo, but it's actually malware? Um, it's not easy, actually. So, But if you have some talents, you can do that. And mm. you can disguise it. So it looks like a JPEG file, but it's not really a JPEG. So it could be a, a, a executed file or something like that. Yeah, so. They could name it JPEG and it might not be. Mm -hmm. The yeah. other issue, of course, is that more and more things are hosted in the cloud. So yeah. it won't be the picture in your email. It'll actually be pulling that image from a server. And what is being delivered to your computer could be more than just that pic yeah. picture. Um, Motor Hero, I, 
I wanted to get your take on this. Again, it's it's good to have good personal practices. If you have that sixth sense, believe it. Don't click send. Um, one of the things that has always been a bane of my existence are people who use the same password everywhere. Yeah. Um, but but when you say but you should use strong passwords everywhere else or a different password for every server, how can you possibly keep track of all of the different passwords? Should you keep them in your wallet? That doesn't sound secure either. So um, we are saying that we should take a paper note. So you just uh, write down your passwords into your paper note and uh, store it in your desk. So that should be – it's not sophisticated. It's not a good idea, but it's somehow um, better. Than now. having the same what, – what do you think? So Jordan? actually you would have to develop a strategy to uh, – engineer a password for every website because you're not supposed to use the same password on every website. Absolutely not. So what you want to do is to come up with something that's very difficult that you use all the time. So let's just use Bert's name, right? Mm -hmm. So you can do a capital B and instead of a U, you can do a, a special character. Uh, R, you can use a 4 or something. So And a T, just use a T. But And then that's difficult because it's not a dictionary word. It's not something that you can look up easily. But then you attach it to something that's unique about the website that you So use. a different password different for password Yahoo versus but you, uh, Facebook. You mm -hmm. can re-engineer it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we have to assume that we could be compromised. We can be penetrated. So we cannot avoid 100%. So uh, we have to uh, encrypt your assets in your computers. So if somebody uh, uh, steal your information from your laptop, but they cannot read it if it is encrypt encrypted. Mm -hmm. So we need a more encryption uh, technology software available in the future. That's easy yeah. to use. Yeah. Right. yeah. So I know Macs have built-in encryption. Some Windows uh, solutions do. Use the passcode on your phone. Anywhere yes. there's an opportunity to have a password, right. you should use one. Now, Motohiro, well, geez, you know, we're coming to the end, and we're actually having this great conversation. Uh I guess I'm going to have to save it for the next time. Motohiro, where can we find more information about what you're doing, uh, you know, sort of at the East-West Center? Uh, East-West Center is uh, doing a lot of things, population, environment, uh, security, or something like that. But I, um, it's a, a great institution. It's a, we are a federal institute, mm -hmm. not a, a state. So we are doing the larger perspective uh, covering um, uh, Asia Pacific. Well, are you going to be doing a talk? Uh, I, I did catch up one of your talks, and are you doing something... Uh, uh, I will be a, a, a moderator at the PTC uh, oh, very Pacific good. Telecommunications Council good. next month. And Jody, you gave that help at hawaii.edu address where people can send things that look suspicious possibly coming from the university. But is there a website that people can go to get UH's best practices for mm -hmm. security? So the help at hawaii.edu, just let me clarify, it's generally for University of Hawaii community members to send there. But there is a website if you go to www.hawaii.edu slash infosec. Oh, I-N-F-O-S-E-C. Okay. We post a lot of information about the university's uh, policies, but well as general uh, best practices that an individual can use about securing themselves on the Internet. Absolutely. Sounds good. We'll put that up in the show notes. Jody Ito is the Information Security Officer at the University of Hawaii, and Motohiro Suchia is a professor at Keio University and a visiting scholar at the East-West Center. And we want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week for our Christmas Eve show. We're talking about high-performance computing. And if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. 
And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And, of course, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And please follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Frisco the Man and a song called Loaded. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.